Hello, professionals. How has your week been? Are you feeling a bit demotivated, frustrated, perhaps agitated? Don't worry, we'll work it out together. Welcome to But I'm a Professional, an L&D podcast with a focus on well-being. I, Nancy Elizabeth, your humble guide and slightly distant coach, am here to help. Come on in. Let's get started. Before we get started, started, uh, a few words, if I may. Um, this is the final episode for this season. Yay. Time for a bit of a breaky Breakingtons. Um, also, I have, I have, what's the right word? I've deactivated my Patreon. Um, there was a lot of squeeze, no juice. And while I am taking a break for the rest of this year from actually podcasting, uh, I will be using that time to create a, an online space that isn't behind any sort of um, you have to join or any of that kind of thing. So uh, a website of some description. I haven't, I haven't worked out all the details yet, but uh, don't you worry. When I do work them out, I would let you know. So yeah, something to look forward to. I, it's essentially, I need a space where everything is all together, all the podcast episodes, all the notes that I've written, um, all the um, additional resources, um, all that sort of thing, all compiled neatly for your benefit. Also, as always, there is a small herd of elephants in the flat above me here for the weekend, no doubt, to enjoy the beautiful city of Vienna. Um, so if you hear something that either sounds like a sumo wrestling match and or uh, a fight to the death between two pterodactyls, then that's what that is. It's the, it's the guests upstairs to thank. Um, also, you probably hear my air conditioner. Okay, none of this is new. Let's, let's get on with today's topic, shall we? Let's shall. All right, so for our final episode of this season, we are going to wrap up our mini, 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 mini series on emotional intelligence, uh, subtitle relationship management, okay? Um, if this is your first listening for the emotional intelligence episodes, I just want to remind you of the definition that I'm working with. Emotional intelligence is the ability to perceive, to understand, and to manage emotions in oneself and in others. The ability to perceive, to understand, and to manage emotions in oneself and in others. Um, I'd also, if you're interested in learning um, about the different uh, sections, I suppose, of emotional intelligence, I am using Daniel Goleman's framework. Um, he divides it into four domains, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management. Uh, as I've said before, I have done episodes on 
the competencies that fall under self-management before. So go back and listen to those if you haven't already. Um, and we are focusing on relationship management here. Uh, and today's competency is teamwork. Brief side note, I do realize that there's also a competency under relationship management um, influencing, but I decided there's uh, quite a bit of crossover ground, and so I didn't think it warranted its own episode. Okay, but do look into it as well on your own time if you feel like you need a bit of practice in that area. Get that book that everybody reads, How to Satin, Satin, and Influence People, whatever it's called. All right, professionals. Let's move on to today's topic at long last, teamwork. Cue flashbacks to, oh, every sort of high school stroke undergraduate project you've ever worked on where you did everything. Um, There was one person in the group who had an opinion and an objection to everything that you did, but, you know, never had any um, actual help or anything constructive. Um, maybe there were two other guys who, you know, slept through most of the process and then at the end said one thing and were like, yeah, nailed it. We all have our examples of how teamwork indeed did not make the dream work. Okay. Um, but today we're not here to put, you know, bad memories on replay. We're here to, despite the, the, good and the bad examples that you have uh, in your collective memories, we're we're here to focus on some of the more overlooked elements of developing this skill, okay? And further, uh, we're here to potentially steer you away from some of the, mm, what should I call it, the sort of shiny, pretty things that people um, encourage their employees to do in the name of teamwork in actual fact, do very little to help. That's what we're going to talk about today, okay? Okay, so we know what we're talking about. We all have an image in our head of uh, what teamwork looks like to us and our experiences of it. So let's move into why should we care? Why should we work on this in order to enhance our professional selves? Well, um, I suppose it's easy, easiest maybe to think of how teamwork doesn't work uh, and possibly even make arguments for not using it as much and that's that's fair been there I feel you um sometimes it isn't the right move um sometimes you do need to work on things either you know by yourself or sort of as a duo or something like that um however teamwork isn't gonna go away anytime soon and it does have really good value it can it can um allow for a lot of things that hap- to happen that, that can't happen when you're working on your own. So what we want to focus on is, is the, the why. Why, isn't, why does it often not work? And then the how. 
how can we fix that? Or how can we, you know, shift in a different, um, using a different approach to make it work for us, right? Um, chances are, if teamwork isn't working where you are, it's because someone forgot to, um, how can we say, provide the space and the time for employees to do things like, you know, attend training to develop necessary skills or even to have informal training on necessary skills. Um, it's also much more likely that somebody forgot to uh, add autonomy into the mix. And what I mean by that is that employees weren't able to influence their work activities and responsibilities within the teamwork spaces. So perhaps it isn't the case that teamwork doesn't work. It's just that we don't, we're not very skillful at deploying it uh, or, or teaching it, I suppose. In an article called, When Teamwork is Good for Employees and When It Isn't, by Chidibar Albanaya, um, the good professor at, uh, I think he's at University of Kent, argues in his conclusion to a study that he did, uh, and in this study he collected data from 664 managers. 664 managers from different British workplaces where all employees were working in formally de uh, designated teams. And he, in the article, he writes, quote, the main barriers to team performance were poor relations between managers and employees, which caused constant disputes and made employees feel more stressed at work, end quote. Okay. So that says a lot in there that, you know, of this sizable study, the main barriers identified were, in fact, poor relations. Okay. Um, that doesn't mean that teamwork doesn't work. That means that we're bad at, at you know, talking to each other. And I think we already knew that. And so I use this quote to illustrate my point that perhaps while we're considering why we should devote any energy at all to this competency, a more useful way to approach our skill development would be to acknowledge that teamwork is, uh, is very common. Um, it's often necessary. And it's unfortunately overlooked, much like all the other ugh, cringe soft skills uh, that you that you definitely need at work. You know, I hate calling them soft skills. You know, I want a different word. I, I hate that branding. It's crap. Foundational. They are foundational. Also, if I may, just just very quickly, um, in in the context section of this uh, this podcast, I talked a little bit about pretty shiny things. Let me just expand on that a little bit before we get into the uh, what do I do's. I see and hear of um, a lot of misfires happening in relation to so-called team building in organizations. And Okay, granted, team building is not necessarily going to be the same as teamwork, but it's in pursuit of the same thing to get people to work better together on a team or on teams. Um, a lot of the misfires that I'm talking about are a bit useless, uh, but ultimately they're sort of inconse inconsequential and um, immediately forgettable. So I suppose what I'm talking about here are things like away days and stuff like that. I mean, 
they don't have a huge amount of consequence. They don't, you know, really make you work better as a team. There might be like some good memories there. Um, but ultimately, you know, nothing, uh, nothing game changing, I suppose, comes out of them. That being said, there are more, hmm, what should I call them? Sort of these faux structuralist approaches uh, that attempt to reduce mental processes to more basic elements through some kind of um, introspection, some sort of introspection analysis uh, type thing. And what I'm talking about there are non-cognitive assessments which, full disclosure, I have very low opinion of. Um, sometimes these are called um, also personality tests. And just a quick word about, you know, your so-called personality and your personality test. I understand that you took a quiz one time and it said you were, uh, what are some of the popular, you were an EF, satin, EN, I don't know. Uh, you were a reformer or you were the color red fine. That's great. Um, I would also like to remind you that even, even though that test said you were a thing, what it forgot to tell you is that you are a pile of goo, a pile of gooey goo. Okay. You are this, this wonderful, complex, malleable creature. And you behave in a way that is hugely influenced by situational variables. Yeah. And so these personality tests are fun and, you know, maybe vaguely interesting in that they sort of give you a window into where you are at that time and at that place and in that context. And that's, that's you know, that's got a, a certain amount of, of use, I suppose. But I would strongly advise against using that test as some sort of guidance tool or some sort of, um, this is innately me and I need to I need to use, I need to harken back to this a lot when I'm making decisions. Um, I want to remind you that some of the reliability around these, uh, these non-cognitive assessments is shockingly low. Okay. Even on some of the most popular ones. And some of them do not fall into the category of what you would call, um, empirically rigorous. Okay. So while they're, like I said, they're, they're, you know, of interest and, perhaps give you a bit of a window in, I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use that as my basis for, for making moves. Yeah. Um, I think it's much more useful to remind ourselves that we are learning machines. Um, all the skills and the competencies that we're talking about on this podcast are, um, include, you know, practices that we can develop and behavior that we can learn and things that we can get better at. And, that's what we're interested in. We are interested in that growth mindset uh, approach. We are interested in the learning and the development of these skills and the application of them at work to make your life better. Okay. And no, I do not know what I am on any of these tests. I think I am genius. That's probably not a category. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about in the spirit of learning, let's talk about what we can do.
Okay, let's get into the last, the final, and arguably the most useful section of this podcast. Whatever shall I do? Um, well, the thing is, uh, you probably already have been doing some of the do's, but probably not, uh, the most effective actions and also if they were effective they weren't facilitated in the the right way so you know the lack of support made you give up um i'm sure you've had some training on teamwork haven't we all you may have even delivered some training uh, on teamwork in which case time to review your notes um i suppose i'm not interested in thinking of development in that in the way that we normally experience it or the way that I have experienced it and I hear others um, explain that they have experienced it to me that sort of the one time only the the odd standalone training here and there you know once a year or whatever it is I am more interested in um, what you can sort of stitch into the the fabric of your business function right what you can you know put into the way that you behave and you operate as as a collection of humans coming together in a space whether that's a physical space or an online space right now with hybrid working um I'm interested in actions that exist every day in the, you know, the spaces where you work, not something that's locked away inside of a conference room with, you know, drop ceilings once a year. That's what we are looking for. And when I was um, designing this last bit, when I was writing this last bit, I thought, "Mm, how do I put these into categories? I love a good category. Me, I think it helps us, you know, put... um, put information into different sections and and retrieve it with a little bit more ease. So I think that the way that it makes sense to me is keeping with this idea of, um, you know, an everydayness or stitching it into the fabric of how you work. I came up with three different categories. The first category I'm going to call foundations. So it's sort of, again, back to this idea that you foundationally, fundamentally need to have certain things in place. Otherwise, the the other stuff will not stick. The second category I'm calling one time only, which isn't exactly true, but it's what, you know, sort of the the big, the big boom um, actions that need to happen. And the other thing is, or the last category I'm calling little and often, okay? Um, and so that's exactly what it sounds like. You do, you do these things little by little, you do them often, you, you know, there's a lot of repetition involved, okay? So let's start with the first category, foundations. Maybe if we could sort of tick off some of the background skills, some of those things that you would file under W for, well, yeah. Um, Like I said, if you don't have these things happening, then uh, it is unlikely that anything else will stick. Okay, first thing we need is trust. You need to have trust. You need to build it, develop it, have it, be trustworthy, all that stuff. Um, depending on your rank, question mark, uh, and your um, power, question mark, in your organization, this will look different. 
However, I did an entire episode called Trust Me. And I, in that episode, I talked about, you know, some ways to sort of sow trust into the everyday exchanges that you have at work. So do go back and listen to that. But yes, it's fundamental that um, there is a culture of trust, okay? And even if you can't manage that across the whole organization, if that's beyond you, that's fine. You can at least, you know, start in your, your little microcosm and, um, here's the great thing about trust. It's contagious. So yeah. Um, the other thing or a uh, second thing that you need to foundationally have in place is the ability to navigate tricky conversations. Actually, no, scratch that. You need to have the ability to navigate conversations, full stop. They don't always have to be tricky. Um, and again, if you find communication is really bad and conversations are, are you know, um, I don't know, I suppose terse or harsh or not doing what they need to do. Uh, just start by working on the, the conversation annihilators that we've talked about before. The things like, you know, the constant criticism, the dismissive language, talking over others, the overuse of the adverb of frequency that sounds like you always something, something, you never something, something. Um, start there if, if you're, if things are um, really bad. But yeah, learn, learning how to have um, tricky conversations in particular, but also learning how to have useful conversations full stop. Uh, I highly recommend getting that uh, sorted before you try to move on. Um, a final note on the foundations front. If you are running the show, if you are the BOSS, um, think about hiring managers who can train people rather than just promoting employees into management who, because, you know, they have seniority or they have, you know, good technical know-how. I mean, I know it's a lot to ask because there's definitely a place for that. And you do need to have people in management positions to manage the technical know-how bit, but that doesn't mean that they're good at peopling, right? Um, so if it's possible, let those types of people manage your processes, but not your people. Do you know what I mean? Don't give people management roles to humans who, you know, um, can't communicate well. Um, humans who don't actually like to learn or don't like to teach others or don't like to give credit where credit is due or struggle to give compliments or lack empathy or, you know, things like that. Um, I know that's that's a bit of an ask, but you you might want to you know rethink how your you shape your um, your sort of management section. Uh, like I said, if you are the the big boss, you want people who are good at peopling to train your people. Also, you want to train them well. So yes, let's get those foundations right before we move on to any of the other things or at least get those started, you know? Category two, one time only. All right, the first one for one time only is um, actively taking steps away from the 
individualized pathway to success. Okay, what am I talking about? Who knows? Um, okay, depending on where you work in the world, uh, there will either be a strong or perhaps just a growing interest in the individual capital I, yeah? And so what am I what, what I'm talking about here is this approach um, looks like, okay, for example, in a meeting, that person who talks all the time, that person who interrupts, that person who has never met an opinion they didn't like, you know what I'm talking about, that sort of type, that very me, 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 me person, okay? Now, they may or may not have good ideas, but that is entirely beside the point here. What we want to identify is, are we in a situation whereby our organization really um, rewards the individual, capital I? And if it does, that will forever get in your way of um, teamwork working, okay? And so if you see more sort of autocratic or bureaucratic tendencies in your management, then again, put in some place to train your management to be more participative or sometimes called democratic, those kinds of styles, right? And reward that to get people to come away from the I'm the center of the universe approach, okay? Um, like I said, it doesn't mean they don't have good ideas, but it's just you're sending the wrong signals to everybody else, all right? So while this is in the one-time-only category, that doesn't mean that you just do the one thing and you leave it alone. What I'm saying is you need to, for a time, you need to rethink what you're, what you're doing with how you're managing your management, basically, okay? And do something about that. Second thing is... Um, consider a social contract, yeah? This can take on a lot of different shapes, a lot of different sizes. Um, if you are interested, there is a TED Talk by a gentleman called Glenn D. Rolfson, who is a psychotherapist working in Oslo, I think. There is also an article by Christine Riordan, and they both sort of, you know, sing the praises of this tactic of, of signing a social contract. Um, they have different ways of doing it, but I would encourage you to look at that, especially if you are a leader or um, if you're, and I don't mean of an entire organization, although that would be helpful, if you are the lead on a team, okay? Um, because it has some really, really good evidence behind it, that it, it's very effective, even if you just do the one where you um, have everybody sign a contract where they won't gossip about each other at work. Um, it tends to have really good results. Okay, so look into those. Um, I would also encourage you uh, to, if you're a leader, to be a role model in those situations where you want a certain sort of social contract adhered to, be that role model, but also think about how you're going to root out the rot before it kills the rest of the plant, if you know what I mean. So if you have put, for example, if you have put a social contract in place and you are role modeling that behavior and everybody or most people are on board and most people are doing really well, but you just got that one or two people and 
they refuse to change, then, you know, start doing things to, to root that out. However, you can make that happen. Okay. Cause otherwise, again, it will, uh, kill the rest of the plant and we don't want that to happen. And before you start whining about, oh, that's really difficult. I don't want to hear it. You're a leader. You need to come up with, with ways to do it. Oh, that was cruel. You're doing great. You'll figure it out. Remember that most of the time people are scared, right? So if they're resisting change, it's probably because they're afraid of something. So that's, that's a good place to start. But don't suggest that they're scared because scared people never want to say they're scared. Okay, that's enough of the um, one time only. Let's move on to the final category, little and often. Right, so like I said before, we want to do these things with a certain amount of repetition. And they are not necessarily big, boomtastic sort of events. They're just little things that have to happen again and again and again. It doesn't mean they have to be the same over and over, but you know, the iterations are fine, but um, they are they are usually small and um, and they happen with a much higher degree of frequency. Number one, redress the balance as it relates to negativity bias. Um, if you are a listener of this podcast, you will not be a stranger to the concept of negativity bias because I have talked about it before. Uh, as a reminder, remember that your brain and also your colleagues' brains, um, your brain is looking to protect you and keep you safe. It's not trying to make you happy. Okay, and in the same way, your colleagues' brains are looking to protect them and keep them safe, not make them happy. Now, I know I talked about it before, but here I go again. In that space of safety, your brain has a negativity bias. So your brain works very hard to remember things that hurt or things that were scary or embarrassing or full of shame, etc., 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 your brain is trying to remember those things and remind you of them so that you don't experience them again. Okay, now that's a bit of a, you can understand why your brain does that, but at the same time, sometimes it get kind of gets in the way, right? That design to keep you safe because it tends to skew our perception. And as a consequence, we need to actively work to, like I said, we need to redress the, the misrepresentation of that, that negativity, yeah? So how do we do that? Well, um, it means doing things like when you are experiencing a positive moment to, to stretch that space a little bit, right? And so sometimes it's, you know, you have to be a little bit proactive, even, even though it feels contrived a bit, doesn't matter. Your brain doesn't know the difference. Um, and it doesn't have to be contrived just because you feel like, oh, everybody knows this. No, everybody doesn't know it. And it doesn't matter if they do. They still need to hear it. So, you know, setting aside time for like a staff shout out every every couple of meetings or, you know, the first meeting of the month or whatever it is. Um, or taking the time to say compliments aloud, the ones that you're, you hear in your head and you think, oh, oh, she did a really good job on that. But you don't ever actually say it, saying that out loud. And then giving a few beats after that to let that settle into the air and let that settle into the person, right? Um, it has a huge, huge impact, okay? Um, 
so that's what I mean by stretching it, the positive moments. It doesn't mean that you have to, you know, you have to engage in this sort of toxic positivity where everybody's doing great all the time. No, but the things that we do think and we just don't say or, um, you know, wrapping some, some um, habit and some practice into it so that it, it, you know, we don't just wait for it to, to accidentally happen on its own. That will help rebalance the, the negativity, okay? Um, within yourself, uh, to rebalance negativity, you also should get into the habit of pulling yourself back into the present, okay? So what I mean here is when you are playing those old videos, when you do have the bad memories on replay, notice that. I'm having, this is, I'm, I'm just replaying this thing that happened. Notice that, that's fine. Um, and then actively refocus your attention on what is actually going on right here, right now. Okay, and I mean, it depends on, on what works best for you. Sometimes people find it best when they, um, you know, touch something or look at something that's like got good contrast of color or listen for something, something that's very much in your senses. Uh, that usually works really well, or you can just, you know, pull your focus into your breathing. And what I mean by that is, you know, I can feel my rib cage expanding and I can feel it contracting and I can feel the cool air coming in and out of my nose, et cetera, et cetera, whatever works for you, but find a thing that will pull you back into the present to get you out of the, the, the replay mode. Yeah. Um, I think also it's just helpful in general to recognize that your brain is sort of searching for for the the negative things and 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 not judging that, not you know getting annoyed with yourself, but just recognizing what that's trying to do and recognizing that it's not always what you think is isn't always true, I know, la gasp. Um, but once you start recognizing that you also, it's a much easier step to take to actively start thinking about potential benefits or potential opportunities in those negative spaces, right? So if you aren't in any real harm, nothing is actually happening, but you do find yourself being negative, think, you know, actively taking, um, taking yourself away from, oh, it's never going to work and thinking, okay, hang on a second. Why, why wouldn't it? Or maybe it would, what's different here? What can, you know, how can we pursue this a little bit? And that will, if nothing else, neutralize um, what you're talking about rather than just uh, staying in that negative space, okay? Like I said, we're not talking about um, toxic positivity. We're not here for that. That doesn't, that has its own harmful impacts. We are talking about re, um, rebalancing the, the negativity bias that we all have, okay? Uh, the other action that we want to take in this category is to work on our reflective practice and to work on that reflective practice as a team. Okay. So this is a team activity. This is a team, um, team participation required. Yeah. So what do I mean by this? Okay, well, first of all, do the regular stuff that you always do as part of a team. You define your shared goals, you define your shared purpose, you all contribute so that, you know, everybody sort of has a, a sewn-in stake, yeah? Um, and then, you know, you identify where the strengths are and who's good at what, and then sort of assign roles. Um, and again, everybody's participating, so uh, nobody feels like it's been uh, just you know, dictated to them. 
But then also, as a part of that process, acknowledging that practice is required to do something well, um, for example, to work together well. And even if you've worked with some of the people before, I mean, that's great, and definitely pull from that, that positive experience and that, that positive memory, but at the same time, recognizing that each collection of people will have its own unique challenges, as will each um, goal that you're working towards. And so just acknowledging that, you know, getting away from this, oh, it should just happen naturally, nonsense. And instead acknowledging that it is a practice, you do need to participate in it and building up resilience so that when things do go a little bit wrong, you have, um, you have things in place where you can bounce back, overcome, um, move around obstacles, things like that, okay? But get used to doing that together as a team, not just on your own, okay? And your participation is required just as much as you require the participation of others. And like I said, this kind of thing is contagious. So, you know, um, get out there. Don't be afraid. Um, and that reflective process, uh, it, it might start off really stilted and it might start off a bit bumpy and feeling weird. But the more you do it, the more you get used to it. You get used to working in that way of... Um, engaging in something, reflecting on how it went, um, identifying the things that went well, identifying the things that need to either stop or be adjusted, learning, going back, trying again, or going forward and trying again with, you know, a sort of variation on that, that kind of activity. And it's, it's that, that reflective process, that way of, of looking back and going forward that will bind you closer together as a team, that will help facilitate your ability to trust in each other, that will provide you with the opportunities to communicate well, and will make you rely on each other to overcome and to succeed, which at the end of everything is the entire purpose of having a team in the first place, right? Dividing and conquering, not doing everything on your own, um, having support, um, both in, in the good moments and the bad and the neutral. Yeah. And so this is one of the ways to facilitate that. Yeah. That reflective practice, doing it as a team. Okay. Just really quickly to review, right? we got our foundations. We want to build up our trust. We want to develop it. We want to learn how to have conversations, particularly tricky ones. Um, we want to consider how we are managing our managers if we are in um, the types of positions that give us that sort of power. Uh, in our one-time-only category, we want to take active steps away from individualized success and the rewarding of. We want to consider social contracts and how we can make them work for our teams. For the little and often category, we want to have a look at our negativity bias and sort of think about how we can make a better balance around that. Um, and we want to engage in reflective practice as a team. Okay. I think all that's doable, don't you? Easy peasy lemon squeezy. As promised, these are all things that are that ought to be sewn into the everyday 
uh, functionality of how you work and how your team works together, right? I mean, I know there are a couple of, of sort of larger things there, but even with the larger activities, um, the, the sort of follow-up becomes your, your daily practice, okay? And so I think that's a much, much better way to think about teamwork rather than um, something that's, like I said, a, a one-time training uh, once a year that sort of, you know, the skills that you've learned or the skills that you've practiced stay behind in the conference room rather than coming back into your everyday work, yeah? Yeah. Good job, everyone. As always, as ever, I want to thank you very much for tuning in to this episode of But I'm a Professional Emotional Intelligence. Um, as I said off the top, uh, Patreon no longer exists. Uh, this is the last episode for this season. I am working on a website uh, for the rest of the year. And once that is ready to go um, in this space, I will, uh, I will let you know. If you have found this episode or any other episode, indeed, useful, helpful, mildly amusing, not helpful at all, uh, irritating, any of those things, Share it on your socials. Pop that thing up on your LinkedIn. Uh, put it on your Facebook if you're still using it. Um, just because you didn't like it doesn't mean somebody else won't. You know what I mean? I want to wish you a very good week filled to the brim with spectacular teamwork. Uh, or at the very least, some steps in that direction. Good luck. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Have a great day. Bye.